0: Hello and welcome to this GCP Short in collaboration with friends of the podcast London and Capital and on the topic of restructuring a captive's investment portfolio. Our panel for the next 20 minutes consists of Chris Diel and Chadrack Kwaza, both executive directors at London and Capital, as well as Malcolm Cutts-Watson, founder and managing director of Cutts-Watson Consulting based in Guernsey. We will be discussing what impact sustainability and CSR trends are having on investment strategies, how captives can transition away from a loan-to-parent or cash-based strategy, and the role of the board and good governance in overseeing money management. But first, Chris begins by providing a summary of how this current environment has changed over the past five years.
1: You know, fundamentally, if we're looking at this from a from a fixed income perspective and from an equity perspective, there's a couple of points worth worth making. I think one of the basic assumptions about fixed income is that borrowers typically pay interest to lenders, but you know, in the current environment, that assumption really does need to be questioned. The European Central Bank cut its deposit rate to below zero in 2014, and ever since then, really, um, central banks have continued to help to push bond yields lower and lower into negative territory. Partly as a result of, of quantitative easing uh, programs that have been in place over the past um, five years in particular, but but also uh, a bit before then as well. I guess one of the questions is why a bond, we get all the time, why are bond investors still buying negative yields? And I think a lot of it is due to, a lot of it is driven by the fear of deflation in an environment where prices are falling instead of rising, as they've done historically with inflationary expectations. Negative yields can still maintain purchasing power, especially for long-term investors like pension funds. For, for captives and insurers, what has this done to the fixed income market? Well, five years ago, you could have bought a five-year maturity U.S. Treasury bond, almost the, um, the best quality bond you could buy, um, and you would have been able to generate a yield of one5 to 2% per year. Today, buying, a, buying the same bond, you'd, you'd be collecting a yield of an eighth of that amount. About a quarter of a percent. Unbelievably, it's even worse in Europe. Government bonds in Europe are negative across huge spectrum of the of the bond universe. German government bond, for example, they're all negative up to ten years in maturity. With investors paying the German government between 0.7 point seven and naught point four percent per year for the privilege of lending them money. Even thirty year government debt will will only yield you naught point naught five percent per year. So it really is in an environment where it's difficult to find to find income at the best of times and captives and insurance portfolios in general are typically concentrated of course in fixed income given the need to have liquidity available to pay claims and also Uh, match um, the liability of their duration with assets. So these negative yields are a real headache for insurers and and that environment has fundamentally changed in the last five years. The other element of it is equities and and certainly um, some captives, particularly in the US have have a decent amount of uh, allocated to equities. Obviously equities have had a fantastic run over the last five years and so captives would have benefited from that. But if we go back to where we were five years ago, one of the biggest trends has been the the emerging of of the fang stocks you know the the large big tech firms and I think it was in two thousand and eleven Mark Andreessen, a famous uh, venture capitalist, uh, came up with the term software is eating the world." Well, here we are today and software's eaten the stock market Apple, Microsoft, Amazon Google, Facebook they now cumulatively make up about 20% of the S&P 500, and even 15% of the of the broadest um, world equity indices, the MSCI world. So these five stocks have outperformed the bottom 495 stocks by almost two to one since, since the March lows. And as an equity investor, you really need to think about the implications of that level of concentration, uh, particularly if you're exposed to passive index following investment strategies. So between those two changes in the bond market and the equity markets, you, we've seen a fundamental shift over the past five years and historic performance and volatility assumptions have been relegated really from relevant to, to interesting. So your strategy may well have worked excellently over the last decade, but uh, but really, it's no indication that it's going to work for the next decade. And, and really, boards need to be thinking about how how their portfolios are positioned and how that stacks up with, with the governance framework in in particular.
0: As you said, one of the impacts we haven't discussed is the much higher motivation around uh, and responsibilities uh, around sustainability and corporate social responsibility trends. Shadrach, in terms of what impact they might be having on investments, uh, what, what are we seeing there? And, and, and more broadly, should uh, subsidiaries such as Captives be putting their investments more in line with their parents' CSR priorities?
2: It's a really good question, and and it's a question that um, captives have been trying to get to grips with for some time. I'd, I'd probably look at it in two ways. One, does a captive want to reflect sort of the ethos of the parent? And and you know, one one could argue that that is something that that should happen. And for many captives, it's something that they are actively trying to pursue. And so, if if CSR issues, if ESG issues are important to the parent, then uh, one could safely argue, I think, that they should be important to the captive as well. And so so that's one way of looking at it. Um, another way of looking at it, and, and one that seems to be coming through in conversations that at least we've been having with captives and, and the insurance market in general, is 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 perhaps the investment argument behind um, ESG. So if the world is headed in a particular direction, does it make sense to be an early adopter or to wait and sit back and wait to the point where, you know, everyone is doing it and then get in at, at that point uh, Again, our view is um, if if these issues are important, if these issues are the way in which the world will work in the future, then you'd want to get into a situation where you're involved in the ESG discussion, you're involved in the ESG investments, and you're reflecting that in your portfolio in, in an active and uh, in a direct way as as much as you can. The other uh, side to it is, is sort of the reg- regulatory and, and perhaps even the sort of social and commercial side of it. So from a regulatory perspective, it's certainly something that we're seeing coming through with, you know, the large regulators um, within Europe, EOPA, in the UK. Um, PRA, all talking about how insurance companies, and, and this covers captives as well, should reflect ESG priorities in, in their portfolios and, and in the way they do business. So, so you know, they may very well be a situation where from a regulatory perspective, um, captives need to reflect or at least um, um, make some sort of indication as to what they're doing from, from an ESG perspective. And and from the social side, and, and especially it, it ties again to the point I made earlier, that if, if it's it's important to the parent. And, and if there's pressure from um, a social perspective and, and a commercial perspective on the parent to reflect um, ESG issues and, and CSR issues, then, you know, some of that may naturally trickle down into the, the captive and, and, you know, just to be in line with the good things that are happening in society captives may have to take on board some of these ESG issues and reflect them in some way. So, so it's, a, it's a very interesting discussion. It's one that is, is happening quite widely. And, you know, there are cases for and against it, but uh, it's certainly something that can't be ignored. And I guess, you know, we would encourage captives to at least engage with the discussion and, and think through what the implications are for them as insurance bodies.
0: Uh, Chris, bearing all this in mind then, if captives do feel like they need to change their investment approach and their investment strategy, how can they transition from from cash or, or maybe parent loan backs to more of a portfolio approach? What is the process they need to go through to do that?
1: I, I guess take, taking a, a bit of a step back, parent loan backs and specifically, let's, let's, let's talk about talk about those first. And Richard, you, I know that you've discussed parent loan backs a number of times on on the pod. And, and the fundamental principle, principle that always emerges is, is making sure that your parent loan back is structured as an arm's length transaction with a market rate of interest. That is the most defensible way to uh, to, to structure a parent loan back relationship. And of course, the market rate will always vary. But we're now in an environment where corporate bond yields are at all time lows. So the market rate is much lower than it would have been even three, four, two years ago. The market rate, I don't know whether it, whether it's gonna be 1% or 3%, but directors as fiduciaries should really be thinking, well, is that interest rate now worth the added risk that I'm taking on? Is it worth the concentration risk um, that I'm introducing to the, to the captive? be it concentrating your asset exposure with the parent along with the liability exposure uh, naturally being tied to the parent as well. We've seen a number of sort of high profile corporate bankruptcies over the last 18 months and no doubt with uh, with covid pressures more of those um, will emerge over, over the next year or so. So I think parent loan backs certainly there there are good there are there are questions to be answered there. And i think the other group of captives who should be thinking about reorganizing or perhaps looking again at their uh their their investment approach should be those who are who are only in cash and um Shadrack, perhaps you can talk a little bit about cash captives with with cash concentrations and, and how we've how we've been helping those put that put that money to work
2: yeah th- thanks chris um again you know we have come across you know quite quite a few captives and, and insurers in general in this environment who've um really gone into cash in a big way, and you know some of that is a flight to safety and and a way to buffer against some of the uncertainty in the market. But that is not necessarily, uh, I guess, the most efficient way to to manage your portfolio. Again, you know, Chris mentioned sort of the fiduciary duty of, of directors, and, and one could argue in this environment where cash is yielding zero, and and again in large in in large bits of Europe, cash is actually yielding negative rates. So um, you, you're paying to give someone the privilege of holding your cash, the way we think about it is in terms of, I guess, in two ways. One, obviously, the negative and low rates and the fact that you can get much better rates even holding um, certain types of government or, or supranational bonds than and, and cash. And, and the other side of it is for those captives who are under a regulatory regime such as sovereignty Two, the penal um, regulatory capital that Comes through from holding cash, depending on the cash counterparty. So, so it's not always good from a regulatory perspective to hold large amounts of cash, just because you're you, you're you're then paying not only the negative or low rates, but also you're having to hold capital against the bank that's holding the cash. So, so we've worked with a few um, insurers and and captives who have large cash allocations and and have come to us and, and and are thinking about moving away from from the that large cash holding. Um and, and some of the ways that we've done it is is first by thinking about it in initially as a risk appetite question. So so from a capitalist perspective, there is a reason that they are they're holding large amounts in cash. And a lot of this is because you know markets are a bit choppy and you know they feel safer holding cash and there's a li- liquidity benefit of holding cash, especially if your handwriting is Perhaps a lot more volatile than, than, it has been in the past. And so we try to reflect that sort of low risk appetite in, in the, in, in a portfolio. So, so by holding, for example, certain types of supranational bonds. So these are bonds issued by um, large supranational organizations such as the World Bank or the African Development Bank organizations that are involved in various bits of um, lending ac- across the world. Some, some of the bonds issued by these large organizations, one, are, are very highly rated, very safe, and will give you a positive yield. The flip side to this is, is certain types of government bonds issued by um, governments within, for example, the US. Some UK bonds can give you a, a nice strong yield. Some European bonds um, issued by European governments through the ECB. Um, these bonds have better than sort of 0% rates, depending on how much duration risk you, you're willing to take. But uh, at the same time as that, they have that very good rating, very safe, um, stable position that Sort of reflects that low risk appetite that a captive might have, so from our perspective, the key thing is to understand what type of risk a captive may be willing to take and whether that can be reflected in the bond market and, and in most cases it is possible to reflect that in the bond market and and you then get that benefit of a higher than 0% um, um, yield in the portfolio, but also there'll be, again, for those captives who are under regulatory regimes, there'll be a, a capital benefit. You know, for example, the European bonds and, and really highly rated supranational bonds that I've discussed have, have a 0% charge compared to you know, a sort of maybe 6% charge for, for cash held with an A-rated bank. So, so the, these are the type of issues that we would be discussing and, and, and the type of things that we think captives should be thinking about.
0: Malcolm, in terms of uh, the boards of captives, obviously, looking after the money is a pretty important job of, 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 any, of any company, and in this case, insurance company. What role should boards be taking on uh, with regards to the investment strategy and, and oversights of that investment strategy?
3: Well, I think, Richard, you, you're really going back to corporate government's fundamentals. Um, the board sets the strategy, in this case, investment strategy, and that's often based on input from management or the shareholder. Uh, the management is then instructed to implement that, and then the board oversees the performance. So that's that's the principle. What does it look like in real life? Well, I think the first thing the board has to do is set the risk appetite. And when we talk about risk appetite, people often just think about the underwriting risk, the core risk. But in fact, it also applies to the investment risk. And, and really, the essence of this is how much capital do you want to allocate to the investment risk? Once once the ball's decided that, then the next step really is to, to decide the investment strategy. And picking up on some of the points that um Chris and Shadrach have made, it's really looking at things like, you know, how much concentration of risk do you want, you know, who are approved counterparties, how do you match uh, your assets with your liabilities so you don't get a disconnect there? And and whether there are any ESG or Uh, CSR, whatever the buzzwords are, uh, issues that need to be considered. Once you've got your strategy in place, it's then a matter of um, preparing the investment policy and guidelines. And and typically, the bull will delegate that to a committee, an investment committee. And in turn, the investment committee may look to the captive manager or an outsourced investment manager to to help them with that. Clearly, if, if you're outsourcing it, then you need to make sure that you have a proper commercial tender exercise, there's a proper contract in place with KPIs, uh, and there's, there's proper reporting. But really, the role of the, the committee or the board, if it wants to continue keeping that responsibility, is to, is to monitor performance. Um, and I think we need to be conscious it's not just investment return. It's also assessing the amount of risk that's being taken to achieve that return. And the other area is obviously to detect any breaches from the investment guidelines. And really, you need a system in place that allows you to be able to detect those breaches or your outsource manager, a system's in place to do that. And really, that requires some form of real-time reporting. And then finally, if there are breaches, you obviously need to know how they've been resolved so that's that's the sort of process to put the investment strategy in place by the board, but it obviously has broader responsibilities, and one of those is really assessing risk and so you know the risk register that the company will maintain uh, should have significant assessment of risk associated with the, the investments, and also as part of the ORSA or Oscar or whatever risk assessment process the board has decided to adopt. There needs to be some stress testing, uh, really sort of introducing some adverse scenarios to the investment portfolio. So, for example, what happens if a parent is unable uh, to repay a loan to the captive? What happens if there's a bank downgrade that's holding most of your funds, or there's a significant interest rate movement? Uh, The board should be considering this and should be uh, understanding the risk and also putting in place mitigation and, and, and having sufficient capital to support that. So it's, it's really, you know, it, it's basics, but it needs to be applied properly.
0: Chris, just lastly, Ben, and, and Malcolm's touched on some of this, what does, in your view, what does a good investment governance
1: framework look like? I think that's the million-dollar question, and Malcolm has certainly touched on a lot of those, a lot of some good points already. I think going back to basics the purpose is really to of an investment governance framework is to an address an, an investment issue, challenge or 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 achieve a goal. So naturally a good investment framework is structured in a way to 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 do that. And of course captives have a wide range of investment goals and challenges, but the underlying structures that we uh, that we see all share some some commonalities good frameworks are usually set up to ensure compliance and pursue excellence uh, which is all very well but I'm sure your your listeners will be asking what are the practical steps that, that we can take to uh, to address those so at a strategic level at the board level I think there's three key questions you can ask can you clearly articulate your investment goals do you look regularly and review your investment policy statement or your investment guidelines and also can you ensure that you've got the right level of expertise on your board and the right level of attention on, on investment matters. Those three questions in a bit more detail, you know, clearly articulating your investment goals, we often see that captives roll out old business plan assumptions when we're talking about investment goals, and that might be, yeah, assuming a five percent return with no investment risk. And while I'd love to offer that, it's it's not possible in today's market. So what are, what are is trying to do? Are they trying to preserve capital and have it grow in line with inflation? Do you just want liquidity for claims, um, even at the cost of investment returns? Are you looking to minimize the amount of regulatory capital allocated to investments so that capital can be used more usefully in underwriting? Or do you want to match or exceed the market return for whatever asset classes you're investing in? So there's a lot of different ways to look at that. Secondly, look, looking at investment policy statements more regularly. Are they fit for purpose? Do they clearly articulate your, your risk tolerance as a captive? Do they allow your manager enough flexibility to meet the investment goal that, you, that you've set out? Um, are they tight enough to maintain regulatory compliance? You know, the, These kind of questions should be raised and looked at in detail at least once a, once a year with your investment manager. Ensuring the right level of expertise on your board, that's a bit of a trickier one. Investments are often an afterthought for captives, and you can tell when you look at the makeup of some of the boards that they're full of underwriting experience, regulatory specialists, accountants, but often there isn't too much investment expertise or experience. As a result, I think investments aren't always given the right level of board attention, which makes it difficult to take a strategic view on investments, and it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. There are a couple of ways to tackle that. You know, uh, can you ask your investment manager to come in and provide some education sessions for your boards? So that's something we do regularly. Um, perhaps you could set up an investment committee separate from the board where more time could be spent thinking about investments. Uh, perhaps when a board member retires, you can think a bit more about board, board diversity. And I mean that, you know, in, in race, gender, skills, when you're appointing a, a replacement director, is there a space for, for someone who's got a bit more investment experience? I think at an operational level, there's a couple of things, a couple of questions you can ask as well around the, the framework. You know, do you have the confidence that the reporting being sent to the board or committee from the insurance manager or from the investment manager is, is you know, surfacing the right level of, of information required? Are you working with the right service providers? Do you write, have the right processes and reporting in place to understand when something changes meaningfully in your portfolio? Yeah, clearly, the answers to all those questions will vary considerably. But I think looking looking at the investment governance framework in those kind of terms allows for boards and and captives to make continuous improvement to to the processes and also allows captives to create their own frameworks
3: that work within their own own contexts. What the trend I'm seeing now is a lot of captives are setting up subcommittees for particular functions. And, And one of those, obviously, is the investment function. And what I like about that is... It allows the board to have adequate time to consider the the more strategic issues while the committee considers the more detailed oversight. And also you can co-opt additional members onto that committee who are not board members. so you can bring in the expertise of an external investment manager, someone from the captive manager, maybe a retired investment person and, and really they can they can spend the time necessary to really understand the guidelines and to make sure that the the function is being properly governed without taking up too much of the board time. And in turn, the committee can report back to the board in summary. And I think that's a much more efficient use of time.
0: Well, thank you to Chris, Shadrach and Malcolm for an engaging discussion on restructuring a captive's investment portfolio. You can find the biographies of all three of our guests on our guests page on globalcaptivepodcast.com and more information on London and Capital and all of the episodes they've appeared on as well. But for now, stay safe, stay well and see you next time, captives.